And he stopped the exercise and looked over at me and was like, do you feel that? From Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago, Illinois. And I was like, oh, man. This is Half Hour. This just in, we made it to season two. Yes. We are back. We made it through the winter, uh, dreaming up some big, big dreams, and we're so excited for the second season of Half Hour. We made it to the second season. Second season, 12 brand new episodes, more conversations with members of our family at Steppenwolf and thought leaders and activists in the uh, city and beyond, and all sorts of inspiring artists and organizations. We have, when I say so much lined up for this season, it's actually an understatement. The fact that we were able to contain it in just 12 episodes is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I do feel like we're burying the lead a little bit because maybe even more exciting than that is that we've got some new members to our (laughs) team. So, okay, first, returning from last season, you've got me, Audrey Francis. And myself, Caroline Neff. And me, Cliff Chamberlain. But joining the team, are you ready for it? New hosts, drumroll please, <laughs> ensemble members, Gotten Rodriguez. <laughs> what up, y'all? <laughs> and James Vincent Meredith. Doctors. <laughs> <laughs> Good doctor. Hey, everybody. <laughs> James and Cotton, hi. It's so great to see you in our little green room. Welcome. I can't tell you how happy I am to uh, join this party. I've been listening to you guys uh, for this whole last season, um, trying to pick up some tips. I I love listening. You guys are awesome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to see what we get up to in season two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now that we're all here, should we get to episode one? Yes. What are we starting season two out with, James? Well, I'm excited because uh, I just joined this mug and I actually get to share this conversation that I had a couple weeks ago with my dude, Big Chocolate, my Steppenwolf Ensemble member, fellow Ensemble member, John Michael Hill. Doctor, I love that you're joining the season and you are first up, first conversation. How was it talking to John? And it was great because it's it's crazy how we've known each other, um, you know, for a long time. We joined together, right? That was like 2007. And yet there were things that we brought up just in this conversation that we'd never discussed. And we've known each other quite some time. So it was awesome. It was eye-opening, uh, learning about his process. Um, you'll hear it, but he's, he's just a, he's a cool dude and a real, just a nice guy. Yeah, I feel like every time I get to see John, I always kind of am intimidated by how cool he is. And then I leave the conversation remembering that I think he, him and Cliff Chamberlain might be two of the nicest humans to ever walk this planet. <laughs> James, God, and Caroline. We got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we have work to do. Yes, we have work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we listen? Let's do it, man. Come on, season two, let's go. Here's Half Hour, Season 2, Episode 1, James Vincent Meredith with John Michael Hill. Half Hour, tap the show, please. Half Hour. Half Hour, please. Tap the show. Half Hour. John Michael Hill. Doctor. Doctor. (laughs) I guess the thing that I like to start out with, because... um, 
it's so integral to everyone's process, like kind of how they, you know, get into it is how you get into it. When you get to that half hour spot, when you come to the theater, when you, you know, on the, you know, your process as you, you move through the day towards a performance, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens at half hour for you, John? Half hour. I'm trying to think. I've already been at the theater for a while when half hour hits because I think I discovered maybe later in my career that I I like to be warm physically and vocally. And that requires kind of a lot for me. <laughs> Some dudes could just walk in off the street and they're in it already and and go full throttle the whole time and be fine. I I figure why not just like you know grease the wheels. So usually um, maybe an hour before half hour, I'm on stage doing movement and vocal warm ups, getting onto the stage, getting in the space and getting acquainted, hearing how your voice sounds in that space uh, is something that I've become more interested in. And then when you get down to the dressing room, whether you're sharing it with somebody or not, that'll change what's going on. When me and Grush were doing The Tempest, sorry, Stephen Grush is the actor. He lives in New Orleans now. But uh, we were doing The Tempest. We were room together and it was just... A lot of music playing, a lot of push-ups and pull-ups. <laughs> yeah, I heard y'all's music. <laughs> we all heard y'all's music. <laughs> Ratchet up in there. No, he's got really no, good. He's got really good taste. Um, yeah. But like, say for True West, I was really like writing. The character was a writer, so I would be sort of journaling and working on my part and my hair and. Mm. and, and Stuff like that. It's really different for every show. Now, you do a lot of uh, on-camera stuff. You know, you do a lot of TV. You've done, you know, movies and stuff. I try, man. When they let me, I do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when you do it, like, do, do you have a different uh, kind of pregame ritual from that as opposed to what you were just describing on stage? Like, do you like to get to set super early? Do you like to get there when you need to get there? Like- the, the routine is completely different. Like, I, I move a little bit and vocally warm up, but it's mostly with the television that I've done about the words, and I, I just really work on the, the, the scenes that we're doing that day because you get them fast and furious. With a network show, they're churning out those scripts and the turnover is really quick. So you get less time and less rehearsal. Um, so I, I really spend most of my time living with the, uh, the words. So I imagine like after seven seasons though, like, you know, from where you start as far as the memorization on, you know, on the quick uh-huh. is a bit easier you know, with each season that goes by and each time you have to do that. So here's the, it's like a bell curve at the beginning of the season. You're bad at it. You're like really bad at it. You've had two months <laughs> off and <laughs> you're like, oh my God, look at this monologue. Monologue at TV is like five lines, but. <laughs> Still, it counts. <laughs> <laughs> so. At the beginning of the season, you're getting back into gear, and then that 
brain, that muscle in your brain gets stronger and stronger. And then once you start nearing the finish line and the fatigue sets in after uh, nine months of doing it and everybody's ready to, you know, wrap for the season, then it starts getting harder to retain the lines and stuff. So you, you kind of reach a strength towards the middle there, at least for me. Man. Yeah, no, I definitely want to talk more about elementary later on. Oh, yeah. I guess it's a, a good place to also begin would be Waukegan. <laughs> Waukegan, Illinois. Walk down. Young man, John Hill, walking around downtown Waukegan. No, no one calls it walk down, but I think it's, I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, what do you want to know about Waukegan? It's still there. So you're growing up. And there's something in you that kind of lights that creative fire that gets you thinking about performance. Was there one particular experience? Was it a general uh, gradual interest into the arts and particularly uh, acting? Was there one moment? There is sort of a moment, but I'm trying to go back to honestly the root of performance before I even knew what like theater was and all that. And some of it has to do with music and music videos, you know, as a five-year-old watching Michael Jackson, I used to learn all that stuff. So my mom would make me do the Michael Jackson routine when you're in the parking lot of, of Six Flags and, you know, you get a crowd around, people people walk, stop walking by and check out what's going on. That's right. probably my earliest memories of performing. But also, I you know, I was really into action figures and it came down to storytelling. I would, you know, there were bad guys, there was good guys. I'd put them on teams and I would basically make a movie in my head. Um, so then fast forward to first grade, we had this, uh, I think we were learning to write and we had to write a story. So I wrote a true story about my brother getting lost at Lincoln Park Zoo. And the elementary school, Andrew Cook Magnet School, turned it into a play. And I didn't even know they were doing it. So all I remember is sitting in the all-purpose room, they call it. We're in the auditorium looking up at the stage, and they're about to do a play. And it's the thing that I wrote. And there's animals running around. And then this actor came on stage. He's supposed to be playing my brother. And he said, I'm lost. And I was sitting there, and it hit me like a, a, a truck. I was like, oh, I believe that he's lost. This is what theater is. This is amazing. And so I was like, I want to get up on stage. So the next year, I was in, what was that? Wizard of Oz. I was, I was in the Lullaby League, uh, uh, doing pirouettes and stuff. <laughs> uh, and it just, my love for it kind of grew. And then watching like Star Wars and Mad Max made me want to be in films and stuff but i really just you know stuck with theater i loved becoming someone else that was the whole thing investigating this other life and trying to inhabit it and tell a story um so that started you know pretty early for me was the love of music um there at the same time did that come a little later yeah so i was always I think I credit this to my dad because he's a great musician. He could play pretty much anything you put in front of him. Bass, guitars, his, 
a main instrument, and he can sing his ass off. I give him that. Uh, So they had me and my brother playing instruments really every year, starting in first grade. So I was a clarinet guy first, and then saxophone, played that all the way through high school, and picked up guitar in college. But yeah, so I think theater was my main focus, but music is a different thing, man. If you can create something from scratch, much like a writer in isolation, that can get you through some tough times. Like I, have you ever heard of an actor say, when I'm down, I just sort of do a monologue in my bedroom and I feel better. Uh, no. (laughs) It's just different. You kind of need other people there. Sure. I notice you kind of work a lot. I've listened to a lot of different things. And this past summer, you had some music that was on your your Instagram account. Oh, man. You know, that was really, um, like, emotive, you know? Um, just given what we're dealing with right now, you know, dealing with, you know, black and brown bodies, you know, being murdered and, yeah, and, uh, and how we all, you know, the process that we all go through as we, as we cope with that. And you mentioned music and it seems to me that you, it is really lit a fire musically, you know, not that you weren't already working it, but it seems like a lot of your music that I've heard, is very um, on the moment right now and is really kind of expressing a lot about what's going on in you. Thanks for saying that, man. Yeah. So I find hip hop is able to do that for me um, more so than most other things because I can sort of start with the music and all of that you know, frustration can come out and and emotion can come out in the chord progression and the drums. And then when it's time to lay down the lyrics, I'm, I'm, you know, I work slowly and every word I put down is calculated. So it takes a while. But once that bed, that foundation of, of the music is there, it sort of opens you up to, to speak your mind and be free. And... This I, I I'm really working to have like six songs out in 2021. I don't know if anybody wants to help me record them or whatever. Well, you know I'm really good at that karaoke, so you know if you need me for you know any melodies. Speaking of, <laughs> y'all don't know this, but James used to have us all going to the Copa Lounge on all Wednesdays right, after right, the show. Yeah. Hey, if you haven't seen his James Brown. I don't think I was the only one who was up there on that stage. <laughs> I think a lot of us were on that stage. You know this. Michael McKeon was up on that stage once. Yes, he was. 15 minutes, please. 15 minutes of the show. 15. So let, let's fast forward a little bit. So you go uh, eventually to, do you go to Northwestern or you go to U of I? You know I went to U of I. Now I'm just, you know, we're talking to uh, another alum here, James. Yeah, no, but you know, you, you know, you read stuff from like, you know what? Let me ask him. I sure <laughs> don't remember Northwestern, but you know, 
Maybe I misread. Well, I did do something that sort of tied to Northwestern before I went to college called Cherubs. And the Cherub program. Oh, Cherub, sure. Yeah. They take the, you know, kids between their junior and senior year in high school. You're basically in a theater boot camp for like a month or two. And it was, you know, one of those pivotal moments in my life. I just was around people that were committed to doing that for the first time. Uh, it was wild. You had all these teenagers, fucking hormones raging. It was nuts, but the 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 work was challenging, very challenging. And I had a professor. There was this one guy. He made masks. He was an incredible Jonathan Becker. These incredible artists, and he was doing this exercise that now, having joined uh, Steppenwolf. And we talk about ensemble work. That was like my first uh, experience with an ensemble dynamic. He was doing this exercise where you, we were, you know, the actors were in a circle and you step into the space. And if anybody else steps in, you immediately have to balance it out. Um, there was no conversation about who's going to jump in next. You just sort of had to go on impulse. And every time I stepped in, he would sort of say, nope, that wasn't it. Step back out. And after a few times of trying to jump in and do the exercise and get shut down, (laughs) I got frustrated. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just not going to go in. This motherfucker keeps pushing me back out. Uh, And then this moment happened where I was like, oh, but I do want to go in, but I ignored it because I was being a little asshole. And he stopped the exercise and looked over at me and was like, do you feel that? And I was like, oh, man. He was like, all right, so keep the egos out of it and keep going with the exercise. And, you know, he could have been gaming me from the beginning, but it's still the the lesson still got through to me that you do listen to impulse and even if you get frustrated you continue to participate you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and work with the other people and and collaborate so that same instructor told me at the end of the program if hey you got all the tools if you want to do this for a living you should look into it and that's why I started looking at schools. And fortunately, U of I worked out. So you're down there. And how does Steppenwolf get in your ear? Uh, all right. So there might be a couple different ways because Robin McFarker was my movement teacher and like combat coach. Uh, and he had done the fight choreography for Clockwork Orange. At Steppenwolf with Terry King. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then my history teacher, Peter Davis, was dramaturg for Bruce Norris's Unmentionables that Anna Shapiro was directing. Mm-hmm. This is in 2006. And they had been auditioning, auditioning. They needed this young, like, West African kid. Um, and Erica Daniels reached out to him and was like, is there anybody down there that can audition? And he'd seen me in a bunch of stuff, and and Peter recommended me, so I got to audition, and and Erica Daniels was there, Bruce was there, Anna was there, and I worked on the accent for as long as I could, and (laughs) 
went in and just did my best. And it worked out. And, and that sort of changed everything. So you do that. Great reviews. I saw it. It was incredible. Just, you saw that? Yes, dude. I did see that. I don't see everything, but I saw that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, who is this dude? <laughs> <laughs> and And then... Look, I don't know about how you found out, but I knew it was like right after that new year that I got contacted. How did you um, get into the ensemble? So, man, I said people ask you how, you know, how did it all happen? I'm sure it's different for everybody. I got into that play and I really tried to be like a sponge and watch how Amy Morton worked and Rick Snyder. Uh Shannon Cochran, what a beast. It was such a good cast. And uh, I think Amy recommended me to Martha Levy. She had a conversation with her. And um, now this is all unbeknownst to me. I just went through the process, you know, trying not to get fired, (laughs) having a good time. And then, yeah, it was over my winter break from U of I during my senior year that they... uh, Martha actually invited me to do a reading of Medal of Honor Rag with Tracy. And that's all. And she was like, just come up to my office beforehand and we'll chat. And I was like, oh, cool. Unsuspecting. I get up there and Amy's in there and they asked me to join. And I was just like blown away and then had to go in the bathroom, collect myself and then go do a reading with honestly one of the best stage actors in the world, Tracy Letts. And I just, you know, I, it was a really special, special day. Wow. What were you? Were you 20? Were you 21? I was 20. I turned 21. Oh, during Unmentionables. Yeah, I was 21. So, you know, you just... And, and, you know, all the people, oh, yeah, he just came out of school. He wasn't even out of school yet. Now he's, you know, doing <laughs> oh this. It's like, but I think there is something that they saw, certainly Amy saw and Martha and everybody that's like, you just, you know, when you know, you know. I, I look at what you've done. And I look at, you know, Kafka on the shore. Look, I had some challenges because I'm, I'm not very cerebral. <laughs> I remember talking to you afterwards and saying, so, uh. Could you break this down for me? (laughs) (laughs) Which you did. And then, you know, Head of Passes, you know, Tempest, Hotel Baltimore, Superior Donuts, right? A lot of those with Tina Landau. Yeah. So you guys have had, like, an amazing kind of connection, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me a little bit about working with her. Yeah, all right. So I think I should go back to... First time I worked with her, I had just been joining the company. I had moved to New York to do some stuff. I was working in a taco restaurant, sort of at the counter, and I got an audition for one of Terrell's plays in the Red and Brown Water. So I the appointment comes in, and Tina Landau is directing. Terrell's going to be there, and I saw. I remember sitting at the register, working on those lines every day. <laughs> getting ready for this audition and it was one of those where his words sort of cast a spell and I was able to you know 
really sort of put my best foot forward in that audition. It worked out. And I've never been in a rehearsal room like that. Tina has a knack for putting together ensembles that are generous. Every one of the cast members is generous of spirit, will give of themselves and take risks and uh, support each other. And actually, me and her, I guess maybe she knew I could sing from the audition, but we sat and composed uh, uh, all of that music in, in that play. So she sat at the piano and was just like, sing whatever melody comes to your head reading these words. And we just started from scratch there and then looped in the other cast members and built harmonies on top of that. It was at a time where I would go home then and record, you know, my own vocal versions of it and send it to her. So there was like this kind of sympathetic from the beginning, uh, not only on stage, but with the music stuff, too. Incredible the trust too, you know, that you guys have to have with each mm -hmm. other, you know, to collaborate in such a way that you know you just trust each other. So one of those plays is Superior Donuts. Uh oh. We do it at uh Steppenwolf and then we go east. You are so smooth that <laughs> I would never have thought that you really had any nervousness about being up on that stage. <laughs> I was nervous as all get out, but you just went up there and did your thing. Like, was the process different? Now you're on Broadway as opposed to, you know, our our sandbox. Damn, I'm really trying to remember if there were nerves about getting up there for the first time in front of a Broadway audience. And I honestly don't think there were more than any other night. So, it, you know, the, the trick is to make it look smooth and, and effortless. But I, every time before I step out there, uh, it's not quite panic, but <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I care too much about the audience's experience. Amy Morton has a healthy uh, disinterest in the audience from night to night because you never know what you're going to get from them. You really need to be focused on the people on stage with you and that's it. But I don't know. I'm always like I if if there's a kid out there that's a skeptic maybe doesn't like theater and we can go out there and give them something real that they can't really deny and it, and it sparks something in them that would mean the world to me. It, it wasn't your first time out east. I mean, you'd done Midsummer Night's Dream at the Delacorte. Oh yeah. So I mean, you had done, you had you had worked out there before. So I guess it wasn't you know out of the blue. I, I shit, man, I forgot about that. Yeah, I did Midsummer <laughs> out there when I was a I was a baby. Um, see that's see you've done so much. See, <laughs> I, I would put that like literally like. At 1A on my list. You're like, man, I, I don't know. did I do that? I guess I did. I played Puck in the Park. That was so crazy. So you do donuts. And then you, you start working on elementary. Mm -hmm. um, as you begin that process and then you move forward, the seasons go by. Um, how... How was it being in a show for that long? 
One thing about me is I don't mm-hmm. get bored. <laughs> if I'm if I have nothing going on, I am content to have nothing going on for the time being. But most of the time I find something that interests me. And even though I think the character arcs on elementary for Marcus Bell might have been too few and far between uh to fulfill you know the actor's itch i i started shadowing the directors in like season two because lucy started directing in season two and i was like well if they're gonna give me an episode one day i'm probably gonna have to do my due diligence so i started you know shadowing learning as much as i could started writing so i actually feel like those seven years weren't only spent getting comfortable in front of the camera, but they were also honing other tools for the for the toolkit. You know what I mean? And so you did direct. You directed, uh, what, in uh, August of 2018? That's right. So that was season six. I think it was episode 19 or something. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. That was a crazy episode. That was the title of it? Yeah, that was the title of it. <laughs> Sorry. Because I saw you looking around for a minute. <laughs> I'm not going crazy. That was the title. It's like, what's he talking about? Um, <laughs> it was, there was more sort of CGI and art projects and all kinds of crazy stuff in that script than any of our others. And I was just like, wait, are they just, maybe they're trying to like trial by fire break me in (laughs) he like oh you want to direct we're gonna give you this (laughs) it was nuts um so anyway i learned a lot doing that and i kind of have the bug i want to do it more i was just about to ask if you wanted to do it again i have a lot to learn but i do want to do it again and i'm too much of a student of film to let that experience just sort of be a one-off Five minutes is your five minute call. Five minutes. Well, hey, there's something we do at the very end of these. Uh huh. They're called lightning round. Lightning oh. round questions. Oh, no. The point is, you don't think about them too much. You just kind of think of the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. And uh, no pressure. All kind of pressure. <laughs> okay. What was your. Welcome to Steppenwolf moment. You know, they had a thing at the NBA where somebody gets blocked, you know, or, <laughs> you know, somebody gets sacked, just just beat down. It's like, welcome to the NFL, you know. What was your welcome to the Steppenwolf moment? Oh, man. I actually don't think I should say what the real first one is, but I'll tell you after because I don't want to get nobody in trouble. But yeah, during bad. during Unmentionables, there were some shenanigans going on. And Rick Hayfley has a bust of Larry from the Three Stooges backstage. And that goddamn Larry head would show up where only I could see it on stage. And I would have to try not to piss myself. (laughs) What job didn't you get that broke your heart? There's a few of these, but they're mostly, uh, I wanted to play Corey in Fences with Denzel and Chris Chalk got that. I wanted to do uh, uh, Finn's role in that Star Wars movie, 
with Oscar Isaac. Which ones are those? Did you see those? Uh, 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 Awakens, Spirit Awakens, or something. Force Awakens. All of those. Yup. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, John Boyega got those. Yeah. Um, and I don't need to go into more, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch yeah, of those. Are what animal do you most identify with? Black Panther. What's your most prized piece of play memorabilia? When I was at Cherubs, we did Animal Farm, and they built these like masks, but they also built these stilts that you held in your hands and you kind of hunched over. I played Napoleon the Pig, and I still have one of those stilts. <laughs> wow. What do you daydream about? I daydream about politics, honestly. I daydream about the future of my career probably too often. <laughs> and I and I daydream about uh having a farm ranch type situation when I'm older where I could just be around the animals and read. And drink good whiskey. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Luke Cage type indestructible thing. But you know what? Flying is just too amazing. I'm sorry. It's just to be able to just lift off would be just magic. That would be it. <laughs> what is one thing you do every day without fail? First thing that came to my mind is not what I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what can you tell us that you do? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely watch sports. I watch people talking about sports. I watch football. I watch, you know, basketball. I can't help it. No, I get it. Sports, sports. Um, I'm, I'm, no, I'm waiting on a Tottenham score. So <laughs> it was, it was time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, what's your favorite place to unwind in Chicago? Well, unfortunately, uh, the pandemic got, took this one from us. Um, Café Marie Jean. <sighs> Have you been there? Dude. The, the the owner dude man we used to live in the same uh apartment really mike simmons oh i mean like same apartment building that place was incredible i loved that spot and they got the perones where you pass it around and try to you know trick that place is incredible. so that's one and you know front bar is a close second i think i think anna every time i see her for getting front bar done i love that place Lastly, if you, John Hill, were a character in a play, what would your character's description be? <laughs> Thinks he's funnier than he is. Um, awkward. Loves being around people, whether they want to be around him or not. Loyal. 
places, please, for the top of the show. Places, please. Yes, James, great job. I loved hearing you and John talk about Superior Donuts. I mean, just selfishly because it brought up so many good memories for me. That was my first uh, main stage show at Steppenwolf. And I just remember how good he was and how good you were. But I specifically remember a couple of his lines. And I was, you know, I, I was sitting in my dressing room and I could hear his stuff coming through the speaker or the monitor and knowing every time he was going to get to a couple of those lines and he would nail them every night. And he, it was so, I mean, he was stunning in that play. There's that uh, patchouli every time. Oh, patchouli. Yeah. That line from that show, like he just, the word, he just pops it and he, it, it brought down the house like every single time. Um, I just loved we didn't really get into it uh, on to to get it on the the half hour, but um, he really has a lot to say about travel, also like places that he's been. You know, he's you know uh, parts of Africa. Uh, he has this ranch that he loves. It's like the three something. I man, I can't remember any of it, but it's a a ranch that he goes and he because he just loves horses and just hearing him talk about how he decompresses and kind of how that um, feeds into his creative process is just awesome. So yeah. cool. So if someone wanted to listen to John's music, where should they do that? So the best place for now is on his Instagram, which is at John Hill M, the letter M. Also, I'm pretty sure we scrunch up some amazing pictures of John back in his cherub days. Super cute. (laughs) (laughs) And also as a young dude playing puck in NYC that we're going to share on Steppelman's Instagram. So go check that out, y'all. Yes, yes. How about when he just casually forgot that he played puck in the park in New York? Yeah, I mean, he's just <laughs> dropping dropping diamonds. As cool as it gets. It's like, let me pick that up, dude. <laughs> Thanks for the great conversation, James. Awesome job. And that's our time for today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Half Hour, brought to you by Steppenwolf Theatre Company. And thanks again to our guest this week, John Michael Hill. If you want to see John perform, you can see him now in What is Left Burns, by James Iams, part of Steppenwolf Now, our virtual season of six exclusive digital works from some of the most exciting voices in the American theater performed by Steppenwolf Ensemble members. Steppenwolf Now memberships are just $75, but for a limited time, we're extending an exclusive deal for half hour listeners. $25 off when you use the code half hour at steppenwolf.org slash now. Half hour is produced by Patrick Sockham, mixed and edited by Matthew Chapman. The theme music for Half Hour is by Rob Milburn and Michael Bodine. The voice of this episode's stage manager is Laura D. Glenn. Special thanks to Aaron Cook, Joel Mormon, Kara Henry, Christopher Huizer, Kirsten Adams, Madeline Long, Corinne Fiorentino, and all the folks at Steppenwolf. You can follow us on Twitter at SteppenwolfTHTR or on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always get in touch by emailing halfhour at steppenwolf.org. We love mail from listeners. If you email us, we will respond. Beware. Hit us with questions, thoughts, <laughs> memories, or truly whatever's on your mind. And in two weeks, we will be back with a conversation with the one, the only, ensemble member Amy Morton. Till next time, friends. This is Cliff Chamberlain. Karen Rodriguez. Audrey Francis. Caroline Neff. And James Vincent Meredith. A lifetime to engage, half hour to places. 